You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Uh, so with that, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, primarily in chapter 3. And uh, by the way, happy Labor Day weekend to you guys. I hope that y'all didn't labor a lot. If you're a parent, that means you did labor this weekend. Especially if, if uh, for those stay-at-home moms, it's like that's an all-day, everyday thing. So bless you. Bless you, child. So uh, yeah, Labor Day weekend. And what I'm going to do, I would love to just kind of just share a few things about myself um, and things that you wouldn't know about me unless you spent time with me or read a blog post of mine, one of those things. But here are a couple of things about myself. One, I am an introvert. And when I'm around people... For a long time, I get drained, like quickly, and I need some alone time in order to get recharged. That's a little bit, one thing about me. Another thing is uh, I never feel fully accepted in either black or white circles. Either I am the token black guy, or I'm the Oreo, or I'm the guy that's not, I'm the black guy that's not black enough. And that's kind of a little bit about me as well. Another thing is I'm fairly possessive in nature. And approval of man is an everyday struggle for me. And it is, it is like where Galatians 1.10 is a thing that I have to preach to myself constantly to kind of get through some days and some seasons of life for me. Another thing, during the week typically, I wear a hat because I'm very insecure about my baldness that's going on right here. Just, just the things, like I'm getting older and, yeah, this is a whole nother story, but like when I was a little bit younger, a few years ago, I tried to like grow a flat top, but it ended up looking like a stadium, uh, there's like just like a bowl in the middle because I was just balding and I'm very insecure about that. So I wear a hat a lot of times, you see me wear a hat, that's why I'm wearing a hat because I feel really insecure about that. So I cover up. So why do I say all these things? Uh, one, because I, I just want y'all to know that pastors are real people that we go through struggles and insecurities just like y'all, just like the everyday man. Another reason why I share that is because, uh, one, you don't know me, and I just want to get you, want you to know a little bit more about myself. And the other thing, though, for, for, for a lot of y'all, like going through all of that feels somewhat uncomfortable. Uh, I was expecting like half of the people to just start walking out. After I kind of walked through that, I was like, we're not supposed to do that at church. <laughs> uh, that's not supposed to be a thing. And so, but that, the thing about that is that, is that okay? Yes, in a sense, it's okay. Like we need to be real because especially in our society, there's just a lot of, here is a pretty version of me and let me post that on social media and everything is okay and awesome. And uh, especially when you walk into church, like, you know, sometimes like my family's walking in, it's been crazy, a disaster, like trying to get my kids dressed. And then like someone asked me, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, praise the Lord, Jesus is so good. And it's just like disaster. I mean, my hair's not everywhere because you can't see that, but it would be if that's the case. And so, but, but, so being real is important. But, but the other thing that I want to kind of press into is this idea that the, this is not really the venue where you're supposed to go down super deep to that level. So it's supposed to feel uncomfortable. This is not the space for that. The space for that is actually in a smaller community of people that love Jesus and that love you and are gonna just tilt your chin to where you're looking at the founder and perfecter of of your faith. 
So, so that's, where the, that's the space where those sort of things are supposed to come out. Not, not really in this whole venue. Uh, and, and what we're going to talk about today is we're going to see how Genesis chapter 2 and 3 highlights this idea of being fully known. And, and the way that it happened in Genesis chapter 2 is that, that we were fully known, uh, Adam and Eve were, were fully naked, and it says that they weren't ashamed. And then, and then the fall happens, sin enters into the picture, and then they were naked again. But in that scenario, when, when the fall happens, there was fear, covering up, hiding, and shame that enters into the picture. So, so what, does, what does God have to say about community? And what, what did it look like when there was just Adam and Eve and the Trinity just hanging out in perfect unity? What, what did that look like? And then we're going to look and see what Genesis chapter 3 has to say about when the distortions of sin enter into the picture, what that does to community. So I'd love for y'all to, to look into that. And the question that I've been asking myself uh, for years going into church is that, that we're supposed to be fully known, uh, but we get into this position where, uh, where we believe the lies of Satan rather than the gospel. And, and then we, we start to believe the lies that everything is supposed to be okay. You're not supposed to show your, your insecurities and your struggles. And so you start to cover up and hide. And then you get to this place where no one knows that you're not okay. No one knows it. It's just this picture, this facade, and, and, and you're supposed to seem okay. And the question I've been asking myself as I've been in church long enough is why does everyone seem okay except for me? What, why, why am I like trying to get into this place where I, I'm fully known, but, but everyone else seems like they're just killing the game on Christianity? And I, and I, think, I think the Lord has some words to say about that. And... Uh, the Lord, I think, wants us to be in the place where, where, where the church is just not this museum for saints, but it's actually a hospital for sinners. I, I think that's where he wants us to, to, to be in that, in that position where, where Jesus is coming and he says, I, if you're well, I didn't come for you. You don't need a physician if you think you're well. I came for the sick. I came for people that actually feel that they need me, that something's wrong with them. And as we enter into this story, I first want to kind of just highlight and just paint a picture for y'all of what actually is a Stonegate group or a home group when we talk about that. So, so Stonegate groups, they exist to enjoy Jesus by becoming fully known in gospel-centered community, multiplying throughout the South DFW Metroplex. So, so the whole thing of what we want to do is we want to create a space that, so this, this space is important where we're congregationally coming together, singing truths to Jesus. This space is important. But the other the lane, the highway of discipleship that I want y'all to also think is incredibly important is a space where you are fully known in gospel-centered community. And that leads to transformation. And then that leads to multiplication. And, that, and that's what our Stonegate groups are about. That, that's why we're creating this other highway uh, during the week where you can plug in. And so we'll see what, what Genesis has to say about that because we'll see these distortions of God actually end up seeping into our home groups today. In our life groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them, they tend to find their way into groups. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty, than any other beast of the field. Did y'all know that Satan is crafty? 
that he finds a way to, to place sin before us, something that will destruct us and make it appealing to us. That Satan finds a way, and actually what scripture is true, Satan is, is prowling around seeking to devour you and, 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 it, and it, he, allows, uh, he allows us to find a distorted view of what sin is because we think Satan's just out there and sin is out there prowling around. And you know where Satan's prowling? In your heart as well. And he deceives us and he's crafty enough to allow us to see distorted views of God's word. That's what he does. And you'll see this play out in the Genesis story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And and the first distortion that, that, that hinders us from being in a place where we can be fully known is distorting God's word. Where where Satan paints this picture as God being this killjoy. You hear no, you're praying for something and God says no. Or, and really what God is sometimes saying is like, he's saying wait, but you hear that as a no. And you're like, God, God's not for me. And then you go through suffering and you're praying for God to deliver you from that suffering. You're like, why are you taking me through this? And you're praying to God and God says no. And, and then, but for you young people, you're praying that like, like God leads you to a place where you can be intimate with someone, but he says, wait. And you're like, what, God, why are you saying no? And so, so what, what is being painted by Satan is, is this picture that God is this killjoy. That all he says is no, that he doesn't want his best for you. And, and, and we, get, we start to believe that. And so we start to believe that God is not for us, that he's against us, and then it leads us out into this desert where when we believe that God is not for us, we don't want to be known by him or his bride. We don't want to be fully known. So we should start, should start asking questions. Did God, did God actually say that? Did, are you sure how well do you know God's word? Let me just test you on that for a second. He's just putting little treats, leading you away from the Father. And, and, and the way that this works itself out in gospel-centered community, it's actually very dangerous. So, so what, what we tend to do sometimes as Christians is we, we say, let's get a group of people together, and since we're all Christians, we'll call it a gospel-centered community. But let me tell you, if it's not founded on the word of God, it's not a gospel-centered community. It's not. The, the scarier thing, actually, for us Christians is, is when we actually create a community of believers and then we, we include the word of God in there, but it's not the foundation, it's just a part of the picture. And, and, we, and we use the word of God not as a, a, a surgical utensil for our hearts, but we actually end up using it as a piece of furniture or we actually end up using it as, as a way to, to, to condemn and judge others. So, so that's what happens when, when, when the word of God is just kind of in the picture, just in the frame somewhere. 
but it's not the thing that we're founded upon that is doing surgery on our heart and soul and the spirit is, is, is working through the word of God. If it's not the foundation, it's not a gospel-centered community. And so I'm praying that the Lord leads us to a place where we recognize, now, now don't hear me wrong, hanging out is very important. Right, we, we, we get this in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter two. You have this idea of so being, being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. So it has to be both and. There has to be this hanging out, communing together. That's really important. But also you need to be founded on the word of God and extracting the gospel from it and placing it in our hearts. What Satan does is he goes, okay, you can, you, can, you can put the word of God in there. Just kind of put it in the picture. And, and one of the things that I'll never forget that, uh, that Francis Chan actually said in a sermon is, is he held up this book. I think I've even said this before. He held, he, he held up the, the Bible and he goes, I can make this say whatever I want it to say. I can take a scripture, it's in the Bible, and I can make it say whatever I want it to say. That's not biblical. That's not gospel-centered. And that's, that's Satan at work when he does that. Just twisting his word and then placing that twisted word and distortion in, in communities, in gospel-centered communities. And so this, this is like Satan's been doing this since the beginning, <laughs> twisting the word of God. And I just want to encourage you guys to, if, if you're in a home group, if you're in a gospel-centered community, make sure that you're founded on this, this thing that is living and active and does the work. So moving on, the next distortion. We'll move on in the story. So verse five, for God knows, so the serpent is still talking, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then going to verse six. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. So the second thing that, that hinders us from being fully known with God, and, and that happens in gospel-centered communities, is this distortion of God's goodness. And God's goodness in the sense that God is the one that satisfies. And, and, and the, the way that this works out in today is, is how it worked out in Genesis chapter two and three. So what happens is not that, like if you remember, God says, you got all these trees. Just don't eat from that one. Don't eat from that tree. If you could do that, you'll be great. I'm doing this because I love you and I care for you. All right? You can still eat. You'll have food that's good. And Satan comes along and he goes, Look at that tree that's right in front of you. It's near you. It's hot and ready. You didn't got to do nothing for it. It's right here. And, and if, if you're standing next to Eve, you're like, God just gave you all those trees. But the American culture is what? If it's near me, if I can have it now, I want that. The path of least resistance is the American way, and Satan just drives that home in Genesis chapter three. And he makes us believe that if, if the thing that's near us and the thing that's now, that, that, that is more satisfying than what God has for us down the road. 
and, and it's just a twisted, distorted way of, of, of where he is just twisting God's goodness and, and, and where, he, where we're supposed to be in a place where we recognize and believe that God is, is the thing that satisfies, the thing that he has to offer. His presence is the thing that will always fulfill. And this plays out, right? So how this plays out in groups is, is kind of how we deal with repentance, is uh, repentance, which is, which is the first part is true. We are living in sin. We are believing a lie about the gospel. And we are supposed to, in our minds, understand that this truth about the gospel is right and walk towards that and run towards that, right? That's part one, but that's not everything. The second part of repentance, that's what's supposed, what's supposed to happen in groups, is that there's supposed to be a heart thing. And the heart level is Psalm 34, where he says, taste and see that I am good. Taste and see that I'm not just one of the things, I'm the only thing that fulfills. And this plays out in my marriage. So, so God played a trick on me. Whenever I got married, my wife loved all foods. We would go eat hamburgers. We'd have Taco Bell dates at midnight in college. Like we'd do the whole thing. Like that's how we worked. It was good. Fast forward seven years, my wife is paleo, gluten-free, keto, whole 30, sugar, no sugar, like all that thing. I'm like, who are you? Why, why is this now? And so she'll like serve me these plates where it's like salmon and broccoli. And I'm like, thank you. This is so good. I'm gonna, and so, so here, here's the deal. I know in my mind that broccoli is better. It's good for me. I don't want no broccoli in my heart. In my heart, I don't want it. And, and, I, and what my wife is, is trying to do kindly is she is trying to say, not only do I want in your mind to understand that broccoli is better for you, but, but I want you to want broccoli. I want you to desire the thing that is best for you. And God is doing the same thing with us. He's saying it's not just a mind game where you believe these truths and, and, and not believe these lies. I want you to taste and see that I'm the best thing. And when I say wait, you'll say it's worth it. It's worth it for me to wait rather than to take what Satan has to offer, which is here and now because he's better. He's better. So there's all these things like working in, in our hearts and uh, it, it, it's a thing where, where we're just dealing with self-satisfaction and self-glory, right? We, uh, what, what Eve does in this moment is she's just not trusting in God's plan. Uh, and so it leads her to a place where she sees something with her eyes. She sees that it's good, even though she's been offered all these other good foods. She, uh, it, she, she sees the tree and, and she knows that it desi she desired it to make her wise. So, so she's like, let me trust my own plan, not God's plan and what he has for me. And it's all just self-satisfaction and self-glory. And uh, what, what, what I'm praying for for our, for our home groups is when it, when it comes to the whole repentance thing is, is a lot of times, again, we, we just kind of go and attack kind of the behavior part of that. Like, especially in guy home, you know, guys accountability groups, it's like, hey, how many times did you mess up this week? Oh, I messed up five times. Like, okay, don't do that again. Do it four times. You know, like it's kind of, it becomes a number thing. And, 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 and I think, I think what, what we're going for is not that. Uh, and there's a quote actually from a pastor in Tennessee. He says this, 
Accountability should feel less like Pharisees policing sin and more like Aaron and her holding up weary arms. So, so, so it's not just where you're just focusing on behavior and focusing on the things that you're doing. It, it, it's where you're like, you're tired. You, you're in a place where you just wanna go for the, the, the path of least resistance, what Satan has to offer. And, the, and then you have people come alongside you and go, look at Jesus. Do you see what's going on in your heart? Like, let, let me, this gospel truth right here is so rich. Let me just tilt your head up so that you can see Jesus and that it's worth it. And they're just holding up your arms. Weary people that are tired of their own sin, tired of where they are in their lives. And then you have people come alongside you and love you and help you come and see and taste and see that he is better. And that's our prayer for home groups. It's that, it's that sort of thing. So, so we pray for that. Um, and, and, and moving on in the story, it gets worse, leads to the fall. Verse seven, then the eye, so, so, so they ate of its fruit, actually verse six, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And if, if you remember the way this thing got started is God set up a design in a way that things were supposed to function. So, so, so Genesis chapter two, God gives this command to Adam and then he creates a helper for him and they're supposed to be a team and enjoying Jesus together. But there's, there's a design in place, okay? Woman, woman is created, get to Genesis chapter three, and Satan goes right after Eve. Not because Eve is less than, but Satan's trying to attack the design of God. He's distorting the design of God. And what happens though is that, that, that we read scripture sometimes and, uh, and we're like, okay, God, I see it's that. But, but over here, it makes so much more sense and it feels right if I do this instead. Like it, my design and the way that this thing works out, like Satan's talking to me I know that, that Adam's supposed to be leading me and taking care of me and protecting me, but I think I can do this on my own and work it out. It'll be just fine. And so what Satan does is he starts to distort God's design in the way that it's supposed to be. And Satan just goes right at the heart of that and tries to distort God's design. And let me just tell you, God's design does not ebb and flow with culture just doesn't. And, and you, want, you want to know why I believe that? Because scripture argues that. It takes Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, fast forward all the way 2,000 years or whatever, you get to Jesus and he's being asked about divorce. And what does Jesus do? He says, this is God's design for marriage based upon what it was in the beginning. Fast forward to Ephesians chapter 5 and, and Paul's talking about marriage and he goes, you know what? The way that marriage is supposed to be is not ebbing and flowing with culture. God's design is based upon how it was established in Genesis chapter 2 and quotes it. So you see scripture arguing for God's design is God's design and that's the way it's supposed to be. It, it, it's not supposed to be where we feel and think and this, this functionally makes more sense and hey, they love each other. Why can't they just do that? Because that's not God's design. Just isn't. And, and so, so here's how this works out in home groups. I hear this phrase so many times. I just feel that God is telling me this and they equate that to 
if you feel this way or if you feel right, then that is God's design. And it's void of God's word. Church, if it feels right, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what God wants for you. That, that, that's, not, that's not it. And so I, I think this is just a warning for how we in, interact with people in our home group and interact and how we go through discussion. Again, the discussion should always land back on what does the word of God say? Let's talk about that. Let's observe that, let's interpret that, and let's apply it to our lives. Not what culture has to say. Not what Satan has to say. So it moves on. Verse seven, their eyes were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to me, she did it. She made me eat it. God, that's actually your fault and the woman's fault, but definitely not mine, right? She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, it was a serpent. I tell you, if that serpent wasn't there, I wouldn't have done it. You know, he deceived me. And so what happens, this last distortion is of God's grace. It is in a place where, remember, Genesis 2, they were naked and they were not ashamed. The fall happens, sin enters into the picture. They were naked and they hid and they blamed and they covered up. Literally sewing things together to cover up their bodies. And what that, that, that whole behavior thing of like the covering up and blaming just, just gives you a little insight. The fruit of that goes all the way back to what's happening in the heart. And at a heart level, they don't trust and believe in God's grace. They don't trust and believe that, that God's grace is for sinners. God's grace is for people that, like literally the definition of grace is a gift you don't deserve. And they don't believe it. So what they do is, is, is they try to deflect and they try to hide from the presence of God who knows them better than they know themselves. They hide, cover up, blame. They blame God. They blame others. They blame Satan. And man, that, that is, when you start to just deflect and when you start to just focus on like, hey, hey, uh, what, what happened is we, we ate of it, and, uh, but that's not, like, that behavior, like, God, that behavior is wrong. We're not gonna do that, but it wasn't even my fault. It was someone else's fault. And we start focusing on the behavior thing. And, and, and when you start to just merely focus on the behavior stuff of sin, you're diluting the sufficiency of the cross that goes all the way down to the heart. Jesus died. What Jesus talked about in Matthew 5 through 7, it, it, it's not about, yes, it is. It's bad when you commit adultery. 
but I wanna get to what's in your heart and it's lust. And I died for that too. It's not about like, yes, murdering is bad, but let's get to the heart of, do you have anger towards your brother or sister? Because I died for that too. I died for that too. The cross was for all of that. The heart that overflows into behavior. So, so there's this approval of God that they're, they're working through and they're, they're wrestling through. And uh, man, a, a helpful thing for us to do in groups and uh, really in your marriage, it has helped me in this marriage, in, in my marriage that I have with my wife, is they're, they're, they'll go through, I'll have seasons where uh, I kind of just need to ask myself the question, when's the last time that I've come to my wife when I messed up, and I mess up a lot, uh, just FYI. And when, when, I, when, I, when I mess up before my wife and I articulate the words, not assume that she knows what I'm talking about, I articulate the words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I messed up. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And I think that's a place where a lot of us need to be uh, because I can go through seasons where I am just so self-righteous and I'm deflecting and I'm blaming and I'm covering up rather than entering into the grace of God. Fully know and say, God, will you forgive me? I repent of my sin and I'm thankful for the cross where I can rest in your grace through the cross and an empty tomb. And, and, and I'm praying that, that, that the Spirit leads our groups into that place where we're fully known and repenting before each other. Repenting our sins. So, th- so this, is, this is kind of the distortions that go on and, and I don't want to kind of just land it there. I also want to give us some encouragement and actually track back a little bit to Genesis chapter 2. And, and give you some, some helpful tips on how you as a believer, if you are a believer, how you can strive towards becoming fully known. Here's a couple of things I want to encourage you with. Uh, and this all comes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, and you'll see even though uh, the relationship that you have with your church body, it's not a marriage. So I'm not saying they're the same thing. But there are some parallels that can happen along the way where you can see the way that God has set up a covenant marriage in a lot of ways, it parallels with how he sets up a covenant membership with the church and how that looks. So Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife are both naked and not ashamed. So the first thing, here's how you can strive towards becoming fully known. It's by loving the bride. It says this, leave your father and mother. Now you're like, Tony, what are you trying to say? That sounds a little crazy. Are you saying that I should disregard my family and, uh, and only focus on the church? Uh, yes and no. What I'm saying here is what scripture talks about. There's this story where, where Jesus' mother and his brother are sitting outside the house and they're like, hey, we wanna talk. My, you know, his mom's like, hey, I wanna talk to my son. Hey, Jesus, can we talk to you? And uh, so this scene happens, and this is actually in Matthew 12 and, and Luke chapter eight. Matthew 12, verse 46, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him this, who's my brother? 
or who's my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand, which I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's like a secret dab, like, hey, what's up, bro? Like that sort of thing. Or it's like, I, I kind of imagine like he's stretching out his hand and putting his arms around his disciples. And he says this, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. It says this in Luke chapter eight. And he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my, bro- my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So you have this thing over and over again where scripture is kind of laying this out that the church is something that's really important. Now, the reason why I say yes and no is you also get this in 1 Timothy chapter three when it talks about elders. It says this, an elder must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So there's this tension that's supposed to be managed a little bit where where you're supposed to place your new family at, at a really high level And you're also supposed to take care of your own family. But I think what God's trying to teach us through scripture is that your family is a blessing, not supposed to be an idol. And the most caring thing that you actually can do for your family is to usher them into the family of God. How you care for your family, how you love for your family is not to seclude, not to just devote to to sports and dance and family activities when things get crazy, but to say the, the most caring, loving thing that you can do for your family is to create a standard where you're going to usher them into the life of a church. And, and that, that's, what, that's what it means because, because this new Abba that you have, this new father and this new brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a big deal. And, and, and he wants you to place it at, at, at a high level. So, so this is a leaving father and mother idea. Goes through, other, uh, through the rest of the passage and hold fast. So the other, the, another way that you can become fully known and strive towards that is by clinging to the bride. So if you've ever been here for at least probably a few months, you hear this phrase, cruddy valley. Now, what is cruddy valley? So it's a journey that leads you to Family Mountain. And the beginning of it is called Awesome Hill. And Awesome Hill is where you see someone and maybe they're wearing a fanny pack and you're like, that person's really cool. You should, yeah, I should, he, he likes sports, he likes musicals. He's probably a really cool dude. I wanna hang out with him. And then once you get to know that guy, which by the way, that's me. And you're like, that guy's busted. Got a lot of sin in his heart. And you go, I'm staying in. I'm not jumping ship and gonna find some other awesome hill to hang out on. You go into cruddy valley with someone where you know the good, bad, and real ugly. And you say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to love you through that. I'm gonna fix your eyes on Jesus and we're gonna crawl our way up to Family Mountain. And Family Mountain's in a place where we pray that all of our home groups are at is where we can be fully known And that means that you can find a place where you belong and also find a place where you'll be challenged to look more like Jesus. That's Family Mountain. That's holding fast. Holding fast is not jumping ship when things look ugly. And and so that's one encouragement, one way to do that. Fighting for unity, fighting for consistency, fighting for endurance with that. And I just want you to know that the, the, the idea of clinging to the bride, uh, it, the beautiful thing about the bride, and, and the reason why it probably gets a little messy, is that there's lots of different people that get brought into the bride. 
And I want you to know, though, that the, in order to take care of your family and to do the whole, like, taking care of your family well, is it takes a village to do that really well. Like, for, for my wife, the beautiful thing about it is that she has people come alongside her, and uh, in particular, she has young people and she has older people. Notice I didn't say old. Older people uh, that come alongside, and, and, and they fight against this idea of retirement. The older people that fight against this idea of retirement where they, like, where they say, I'm not just going to, my driving promised land is not my last 15 years of my life, 20 years of my life, 30 years of my life, but my driving force is when I get to that point where I have no kids in the house and I've got all these resources, I'm going to lay those down and sacrifice them to love the bride and the people that need it. This quote by John Piper about retirement. He says, finishing life to the glory of Christ means resolutely resisting the typical American dream of retirement. It means being so satisfied with all that God promises to be for us in Christ that we are set free from the cravings that create so much emptiness and uselessness in retirement. Instead, knowing that we have an infinitely satisfying and everlasting inheritance in God just over the horizon of life makes us zealous in our few remaining years here to spend ourselves in the sacrifices of love, not the accumulation of comforts. Older people, let me speak to y'all for a second. You know what us millennials here from the older generation, we're messing up the world. We can't handle our money. We're always on our phones. Like we just hear kind of this dripping faucet. Like we're just doing everything wrong. And that makes us not want to hang out with you. Let me just be honest. And, and here's the deal. But our hearts are like, I need that well of wisdom and knowledge. That's what our hearts are saying. And so here, here's, here's what, there's a family in here, the uh, JR and Sue Netherland. They do this thing where instead of like bashing young people over the head and telling them everything they're doing wrong, what they do instead is say, they just listen. And, and, they, and they find out what, what we care about and what we love and then they point them to Jesus. It's not these epic sermons. It's just like where Sue Netherland comes over to our house and she's just with our children. And along the way, she's alongside Sarah and she's teaching her how to raise our children and doing that through action, not through sermonettes. And she, she I mean, it's a mentor relationship where, and, and, and it's amazing, if you just kind of scroll through Sue Netherland's Facebook, which is kind of creepy, but you should totally do it, you, you, you have people singing Sue Netherland's praises because she is laying down her life for the good of the church and for young women. And so even last week, my wife just needed two hours alone with the Lord, and so she just came over, took care of our kids, and Sarah went to a coffee shop for two hours and spent time with the Lord. You know what that does? For people in our church when that happens, like just simple things like that. And we don't want to just, we don't want to just use y'all as babysitting. Now it's really great and praise the Lord for that. But we, we want y'all to just to be a part of our lives, not preach to us. And that's what it means to be the, part of the body of Christ is that we have people that look, think, and act differently than us all under the common bond of Jesus. Praise God. There, there's no other group or place that does that. Okay, and here's the deal. If you're just searching for a group of people that look, think, and act like you, it's really easy to do that. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter six. Hear this, Luke chapter six. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. That, that Jesus is saying it's really easy just if you have gray hair to find a bunch of people that have gray hair. 
It's really easy to do that. And I think what's beautiful about the body of Christ is that you have different people that look, think, and act all together worshiping Jesus. They hurt together. They celebrate together. It's like my big toe. I hurt my big toe uh, in a car wreck not too long ago. My whole body hurts from dislocating my big toe, right? My big toe doesn't look like my head. I I don't think so. I hope not. I pray. They function different, I hope. And and so what happens though is even though they look different, function different, my toe doesn't get a lot of shine because it's like covered by a shoe, you know, but they work together and function together and celebrate when everything is all right. And when that big toe hurts, oh Jesus, I need help. It's my whole body aches. Church, what if the body of Christ was like that? Where you're in a community and when one person hurts, you carry their burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6.2. May we be that church. May we be that church. And that is found in the midst of community. And the last thing is uh, risking for the bride. So you have clinging to the bride, unifying the bride through different people, and then risking for the bride. And risking for the bride looks like this. It may be super awkward where it's like, hey, I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody that's caught, like admonishing me and, and fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm just gonna put myself out there. And here's the deal. The reason why people don't do that a lot is because they've been burned before, right? They've been burned by the church by too many people and then that, that makes you believe this lie that it's not worth it to jump back in. And I'd encourage you, if you're not in a group faithfully committed to a home group, just take a risk, and jump in. And there's a, there is a risk of being burned, but the benefit if you jump in and it works is you have a family and a place where you can belong and be fully known. And it's worth it to keep jumping in. All right? So, so a few more encouragements for y'all and, and then I'm done. Um, how can you be fully known at Stonegate? Plead. One, you plead for the gift of repentance. You plead. Uh, you can email uh, me at group, uh, groups at stonegatechurch.org you can, uh, and you can say, I need a group. I need a place. I need a family to belong. You can go up to the front of the welcome desk, pick up a card, try out a group. You plead for a community. That takes you putting yourself out there. That's risk. you risking yourself to possibly get burned again where it's not going to work out. And the last thing is you fight. What do you fight for? You fight for consistency even where it's that, that week or that day where it's been a really long day at work and you peel yourself off the couch to commit yourself to a group because it's worth it. So we have a video for that, just to kind of explain what that looks like, just to, to see the different intricacies of what it looks like to be with, in a group where there's different people and different facets, like all walks of life coming together and the benefit of what that looks like to come together. So let's watch this. Thanks. No, it's good. Church, let's pray. Consider the beauty of the gospel that leads us to discomfort and risk. I'd love for you to ask yourself right now while you're you're in prayer, are you fully known in gospel-centered community? If not, Take this time to plead before the Lord. Take this time to risk. Take this time to to ask the Lord to give you fight to stay in this thing. 
For some of you, like the, the phrase of fully known, you ha- you've never been fully known by God or by his bride. And for some of you, this may be a perfect opportunity for you to say, God, I want to be fully known by you and I want to sit and bask in your grace. I want to taste and see that you are good because I haven't tasted anything before that is just as good as you are. That what you're offering on the table, everything that I've tasted before is bitter in my life. So take an opportunity to go to those prayer tables in the back and maybe you just need to ask, I just need help coming to know the Lord. I need to be known by Jesus. So I encourage you right now during the worship time, when we stand up, go to those tables and have someone pray with you. Allow me to pray these scriptures over you. Galatians 3. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. God, allow us to be known by your bride. Allow us to taste and see that you are better than everything else. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.